as we continue our study in the book of 2 Kings, I find it more and more interesting. I also find it more and more repetitive. And when you think about repetition, perhaps in one sense that seems to be a little boring. But when it comes to God's word and repetition, it's because we might not have gotten it the first time. And obviously the kings um, continually repeated these sins and they just never learned. Of course, uh, on Father's Day, we talked about the fact that all of these kings would be compared to King David. And, and that's why I wanted to do that on David for Father's Day, because he was the standard. Uh, by the way, I'm going to continue a little bit of a study on David through the Psalms for the next couple of weeks until we start our next series, the book of the Bible. So uh, I uh, trust that'll be a blessing to you. Well, if you take a look at 2 Kings chapter 15, we only have three verses to cover, 5 through 7. That's in the book of Kings. But in 2 Chronicles, there's quite a few verses that we're going to look at, and that is going to be... Um, more detail. Now, we have already looked at Azariah. Azariah, we saw that he began well and that he prospered. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But as each of these kings, including his father, he falls short. Somewhere along the line, he deviates. And as in all cases, there are major deviations but we can say that it's especially a major deviation in the life of Azariah. All right, so give me a second here. Um, I have to go through all the bells and whistles again. So anyway, what we're going to find out is that Azariah will be judged because an act that he commits in the temple. And he is going to be judged with leprosy. As we have seen before, leprosy sometimes in the Bible is a judgment of the Lord. It doesn't appear that it's always that way, but many times one of the ways in which God can judge his people or these kings or servants of prophets is with leprosy. So we're going to work our way to that. So what we're going to see is a little bit of 2 Kings verses 5 through 7, because it just says it briefly about the leprosy. It doesn't even tell us really why he received leprosy. But 2 Chronicles does go into detail on that. Now, I want to say one other thing. Now, what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm following a logical teaching outline. What I mean by that is I'm skipping some verses. We'll go back to these verses. But I'm skipping 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 20 through 3 through 29. Now, there's nothing wrong with the way the author did it. And it's the idea that the author wanted to mention some things that was happening during Azariah's reign, but he's going back to Azariah. And since we're studying him, I'm just, uh, we looked at the fact that he was prospering, and now we're going to look at the fact that he's judged with leprosy. And by the way, what we're skipping is Jeroboam II, his reign. He replaced Jehoash, so we'll come back to that later. Well, what we have then is, first of all, a brief account of Azariah's leprosy. That's verse 5, 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. Then we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 21 for a detailed account of his leprosy. And then we will take a look at his death and burial, which is both in 1 Kings 15, or 2 Kings 15, 
and also Second Chronicles 26. So both of them, we'll, we'll put that together. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer because there's a lot of detail and it can be confusing. I, I pray that I can say it simply and in a way that's understandable, but in a way that's accurate with scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of 2 Kings, as well as 1 Kings. We thank you for the many lessons that are there, and even at times the repetitive lessons. Father, for instance, we'll talk about Azariah and his pride. And it seems to me, Lord, that that's something that we always have to deal with as believers is our pride. And so these repetitions are very good, these admonitions. But Father, we ask you now that you would just teach us about these things. And Father, may we apply these things to our life that we might be a pleasing aroma to you, Lord. Our walk could be a pleasing aroma. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to do just a little bit of review. I uh, have made this a custom of doing this every time we go through another chapter because it, it's so detailed. There's a lot of details. And what we learned last time in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, and 2 Chronicles chapter 26, 1 through 15, we learned about Azariah, the good part, the part where he prospered because he served the Lord and did what was right. He replaced his father, Amaziah, who, if you remember, wanted to challenge Jehoash and did, and Judah was defeated and he was captured. Well, his son replaced him while he was gone, and then when he was released, there was a co-reigning. But when Azariah finally got to the place where he was the sole king, not sharing it with his father, he went into a building project and he built several things and he built Elath. Uh, this was a place that was uh, built up by him. And it says he did right before the Lord in, in chapter 15, verse 3. We moved into chapter 15, verse 3, skipping part of that about Jeroboam. But it typically said he, like the other kings, did not remove the high places. So in other words, there was pagan worship going on or a split worship, the worship of Yahweh and also the worship of these false gods. And that was due in part to him not removing them, which he should have done. Now, it does say that he not only pleased the Lord, but he sought the Lord. He sought the Lord like David did. He sought the Lord under the time of Zechariah the priest. He then had success in gaining back some of the land that, that Judah had lost against its enemies, the Philistines, the Arabians, and the Mayanites. And so he defeated them. And so there was prospering and he gained that land back. He rebuilt towers and built towers in the wilderness to fortify the military. He built up the military and weaponry, all because he was serving the Lord. And then what happened? Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. And again, it, it reminds us of watching something, a sport, if you will, and your team is winning and you're cheering them on and then, oh no, they lose it in the ninth inning. Well, that's what we have here. Uh, these kings, one after another, is doing good, and we're actually cheering for them. And then all of a sudden, they deviate. And this is what we see. It says, verse 5, 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, The Lord struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, judging the people of the land. This is all the king says about it. And it's very brief. Um, it's a very brief depiction of it. It doesn't tell us why he was struck 
with leprosy. But it does say a few things. It says that he was a, a leper after this all the days of his life. So whatever happened to him with this leprosy, it plagued him his entire life. We also find out that Jotham, his son, is co-king because he couldn't really get out among the people, that is Azariah, because of his leprosy. But I think one of the most important things is stated in this passage, and that's all you have to say, and that's the very beginning, the Lord struck the king. Leprosy is used by the Lord at times in the Old Testament as judgment. And so all we know now is that he did something that wasn't good and he was judged with leprosy all the days of his life. Now, if we want to find out what did he do to cause the Lord's anger and judgment, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter six, uh, 26, verses 16 through 21. Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. So now we have been in Second Chronicles looking at the life of Azariah and his prospering. We get a lot of details in there that Kings doesn't tell us about. But we come to verse 16 and now we're going to find out the beginning of why Azariah was judged by God and became a leper. It says, verse 16, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So as we said before, he had great military success, but this is while he was doing what was right before the Lord. He defeated some of these nations and gained back land, and he built up the military. Everything was going fine until he, much like Satan that we find out, took all the credit for what God had given Satan originally in his beauty and his position and pride was his downfall, and he sinned, and he was cast out of heaven. We have Azariah doing the same thing, all of this victory and his strength. Instead of giving the credit to the Lord, to whom gave him all of these victories, he began to see himself as the reason for his own success and for his own strength. He, he credited himself rather than the Lord. And of course, he's going down the wrong path at this time. And it's going to say that his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want to mention one other thing. This really reminds me of his father, Amaziah. And you could really say, like father, like son. In fact, if you remember, the scriptures even said that Azariah was following the way of his father. They both began doing what was right before the Lord. Both became prideful, and that was their downfall. If you remember about Amaziah, he was uh, growing and succeeding, and he came against Edom and the Edomites and had a victory. We would call it a great victory, except that it wasn't a lot of people that he defeated. It was 10,000. That's a good number. But when you look at some of the other kings like David, I mean, you, you find out their victories were incredibly immense. Well, he left this go to his head and he came out and challenged Jehoash, who was the king of the northern kingdom. Now, he had grown in military power as well. And even Jehoash said, look, look, settle down. No sense in you... Uh, falling into the, to this proud uh, uh, attitude that you have, thinking that you can take everybody on your block. And he warned him. Amaziah, Azariah's father, did not heed it. And he came against Jehoash. And if you remember, Judah was defeated by 
the northern kingdom, Israel. And Amaziah was captured and was imprisoned as long as Jehoash was king. When Jehoash died, Amaziah was released. And for a little time, he and his son, Azariah, had a co-reign. But again, you have this whole, whole idea of these accomplishments and then saying, yeah, I did that. No, the Lord did that. Yes, you obeyed, but the Lord gave the victory. Well, we find out that this is what is the cause of Azariah and his downfall. And again, I want to emphasize, it says that he acted corruptly. Well, what did he do? Well, there certainly are other things that he may have done. In fact, there's a reference that it has been, things, other things have been written by Isaiah and Amos about him. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So there are other things that he did, but this is going to point directly to him going into the temple, which only high priests can do in the holy place, and burning incense on the altar of incense. Only the priests can do that, not the kings. And so it says he acted corruptly and was unfaithful to the Lord. And he entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now at this point, verse 17, we're going to see, <laughs> to keep things more confusing, another Azariah. But not Azariah that we're talking about. And by the way, uh, we, we see in, in Second Chronicles, Azariah's other name, Uzziah, used predominantly. One seems to be his name since he took the throne by himself, Uzziah, and the other one, Azariah, appears to be his personal name. But here is a priest, the chief priest, whose name is also Azariah. And you just sometimes wonder if God hasn't orchestrated this in his providence to show the obedience of one versus the disobedience of another. Let's read it, verse 17. Then Azariah, the priest, entered in after him, and with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. So this is one of those things where the king doesn't even talk to the priest. He just walks right in. He just walks right into the holy place, and he's going to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now let me just, let me just kind of give you a little bit of the background Burning incense is when they take coals from the brazen altar where they're sacrificing in the temple court. The high priest daily take that incense and go into the holy place and they put that on the altar of incense. And there are a number of important reasons why they do this. We'll bring that up a little later. But it is a holy thing and only the priests can go into the holy place to do these things now we know beyond the holy place is the holy of holies and only the high priest can go in there one day a year on the day of atonement all right so that's just give me a little bit of what's going on anyway he just goes walking right in there he he's not only proud about his military exploits but now he thinks he could be the priest, too. And we're going to talk a little bit about this and his attitude, but I want to point something out. So Azariah, the priest, goes in after him. So first of all, we see that he was bold. And then with him, 80 priests of the Lord. So these other priests are going in as well. And it calls them valiant men. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, when you see the word valiant, Chayil in the Hebrew, it usually refers to mighty men of valor, warriors, um, the, that kind of thing. But that's not what it always means. And in the context, I don't believe that's what it means. These are Levitical priests and they're called valiant men. The word also means excellency. It means excellency of excellent character. In fact, can I show you one example Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. 
verse 10, where the excellent wife is talked about. It's talked about the excellent wife and the good things that she does in the character. So if you look at it, chapter 31, verse 10 of Proverbs says, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. Now look at the word excellent in the Hebrew. It is chayil. Now this certainly doesn't mean she's a warrior. At least we hope not. We hope she's not a warrior to her husband, okay? But it really means excellent in character. Excellent in, in integrity. That's what she is. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture uh, for women. But here, when it calls these priests valiant men, I don't think he's calling them, at least this is my opinion, I don't think he's calling them warriors. He's calling them men of excellent character, men with integrity. After all, they walked in to get the king out of there. You have to be bold and courageous to do that. The king could have you killed, just like we've seen other kings kill prophets who rebuke them. Well, this is what happens. Let's look at verse 18 because there's a confrontation. Azariah confronts the, the king. Second Chronicles 26, now verse 18. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out, get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. Now at this point, he could have gotten out because it says you will have no honor. If you don't get out, you will have no honor. He already has been unfaithful. He's taken a step toward being unfaithful and doing what the law prohibits him to do. So we, we really see this going on. Now, I'll, there's something else that, that someone else brings that not only is he being unfaithful and there's a pride there and he thinks he has the right to go in as a priest even though he's not, but it could also be something to do with paganism. By the way, he didn't remove the high places, and that's that kind of doctrine is floating around Judah. It's very possible that he's emulating some of the Canaanite kings who themselves believe that they are both king and priest, oh, and divine. And perhaps he's thinking, well, I should be able to do that. I'm a strong king. I've defeated some of these nations. Here's what one commentary said. Uzziah's sin in entering the temple to burn incense consisted not simply in usurping what was an exclusively priestly prerogative, but perhaps also in arrogating, that means claiming for yourself, arrogating to himself a Canaanite-ish type of office of semi-divine priest-king. That's very possible. Uh, we don't really see him following the law very, very closely. Now, again, another commentary writes, the Mosaic law permitted only the priest to offer incense in the temple. And we'll look at a few scriptures. The Davidic kings could offer sacrifices on the bronze altar. That's the one that's out in the courtyard. It's not in the, the, the temple where it's the holy place and the holy of holies. So they could sacrifice on the bronze altar in the temple courtyard, as could ordinary Israelites. But Uzziah's presumptuous act of offering incense in the holy place manifested rebellion against God's will. And again, the temple is a holy place because this is where, especially the Holy of Holies, where we have the Ark of the Covenant, we have a mercy seat where the blood is 
applied one day a year for sin, the sin of Israel, the sin of the priest, and it's where sinful man could meet the only holy God. How do you meet a holy God? Well, in the Old Testament, it had to come with blood. It could only happen one day. And by the way, what was the importance of the altar of incense? Well, the altar of incense would bring smoke. And there's some really great references of what nowadays in the New Testament we can apply it to ourselves. I'll hold that to the end. But one of the things that I believe that it is, has done is it's a fragrant aroma. The coals are taken from the brazen altar where there was a sacrifice. That coal is taken and putting on the altar of incense, and it's a fragrant aroma. In other words, there has been a sacrifice for sin. And as the smoke goes up, and I believe it's the altar of incense was right by the veil, the veil to the holy of holies, and the smoke would enter. This fragrant aroma was there. Also, too, it created somewhat of smoke. And again, it's the idea of the picture of man cannot go into the presence of God because he's sinful. But with this fragrant aroma and with this smoke that kind of covers sinful man so that he can at least make it over to the mercy seat and apply the blood, you have a place where a holy God meets with sinful man, albeit the, the chief priest, the holy, uh, the, the main priest, and he can only do that once a year. So this is all sacred. And by the way, we have the Lord Jesus Christ who himself is not only the sacrifice, but he also is the mercy seat. The Greek word called hilasterion. Christ is the hilasterion. not only the sacrifice, but he was the place. He himself is the place where a holy God can be reconciled with sinful man. So you see how important this would be to God. And here this king just goes traipsing in to do it. Well, now you can understand why he's going to be judged. And he's going to be judged with leprosy. Now, look at verse 19. He's a, He's has this censer in his hand. Let me just read it. But Uzziah, didn't listen to them, with the censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. While he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord and beside the altar of incense. So he didn't listen to them. And he's got this... Uh, burning incense, and he's going close to the altar of incense, but he never makes it. He doesn't make it because he is judged with leprosy. But notice it uses the word enraged twice. He's enraged. His pride and arrogance has made him mad. In fact, the word for enraged, it's used twice here, and it means a, a tempestuous storm. It was basically also used when they threw Jonah overboard into the tempestuous storm of the sea. Well, he was tempestuous, and he was arrogant, and he was going to do it regardless. He was enraged, and he was enraged with the priest, but before he could even put the incense on the altar, leprosy broke out, and it broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord, and beside the altar of incense, because these are all holy things, meaning they are separated unto the Lord. Well, then immediately he is removed. Now he's got to get out. Lepers are unclean. And here is an unclean leper in the holy place. And even Azariah himself recognizes that he 
was supposed to have gotten out of there at this point. Look at verse 20. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And I, I think it already dawned on them what happened here. It was judged by God. And I think it even comes to Azariah. It, it comes to his mind what has just happened. And they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. So now when we look at 2 Kings and it says the Lord struck him with leprosy, that's the main thing. He was judged with leprosy, but now we know why, because he wanted to put these burning incense on the altar of incense. But now he recognizes, and certainly the priests, they got to get him out of there before something worse happens, but they, they, they usher him out of there. One of the things that we see is that God has judged people in the past. Uh, you remember uh, there was a servant of one of the prophets, and, and he went and he got some of the, the, the money and the things like that, and he lied, and he ended up with leprosy. It says, God judged the king's refusal to heed the law, but God was merciful in that he did not kill Uzziah. That's very interesting. He could have killed him, but he was still merciful to him. But he had leprosy, and he had leprosy all the days of his life. With leprosy, Uzziah had to submit to the priests in a new way. He should have been submitting to the priests all along, but now he had to submit to the priests in a new way according to the laws of leprosy, which would be isolation, and cut off from the house of God. And so he, he had to submit to the priest in a new way according to the laws of leprosy and endure isolation the rest of his life from the temple as well. So if you think about it, to a Jewish person, this would be horrible. This would be horrible to a king in the line of David. You think of someone like a David who loved to worship the Lord who wanted to be in the Lord's presence. And that's all that really mattered to him. Well, here you have someone in the line of David who doesn't even care and now as a result will never be able to come to the temple to worship again. And furthermore, he has to have a separate house. He can't live with anybody else because he has leprosy. Look at verse 21. It says, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And then the author interjects, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Well, let's kind of work our way through this. Um, there might have been a possibility that God might have healed him, like he healed Naaman, but he did not. He allowed him to have this his entire life, and this was part of the judgment as well. Here was the king, and he was co-reigning, but he was co-reigning from an isolated place. I imagine, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how his son conferred with him. He certainly didn't come over for tea. Or maybe outside the yard from a distance, he said, oh, by the way, dad, uh, some issue had come up and I was just wondering what you thought about it. I, I have no idea, but we do see that there is somewhat of a reign of Azariah and certainly his son is co-reigning with him. Now, according to the, the law, especially in Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 44, if a person has a certain type of leprosy, a permanent type of leprosy, they are unclean. That's why they can't go to the temple. And they are to be separated from other people. Uh, we read there verses 44 and 45, he is a 
leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. And of course, it goes on to say that he must be separated from the other people. And that certainly would make him cut off from the house of the Lord. And that would be the worst of all of this, that he was separated from worship there. And in a sense, his sin separated him from the Lord. Now, could have there been forgiveness? There could be, um, even though leprosy was not taken away. But we don't read of anything like that. That's all we read of. This is the end. And of course, in Kings, all we read was he was struck by the Lord and given leprosy. Someone writes this. Uzziah's leprosy meant he could no longer enjoy personal worship at the temple. Rather than caring for the temple and the priesthood and the building it up as God had said David's son would do, Uzziah could never even enter its courtyard. The king's leprosy was an outward evidence of his inward uncleanness. And that was a commentary by Constable. Now, we're going to move now to his death and burial. And I'd like to first go back to 1 Kings. So he, he's going to have leprosy till he dies. He's going to be separate in a separate house, even though he's supposedly reigning as king with his son Jotham. And he can never go into the temple to worship. Then comes his death. Let's look at 2 Kings Chapter 15, verses 6 and 7. And I'll read both of these because we're going to go to the book of Chronicles, naturally. All right, so in 2 Kings, chapter 15, verse 6 and 7, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Once again, when we see that phrase, it's not Speaking of our book of Chronicles in the Bible. Now, there are some things written about him there. But other times when it talks about kings, it says, isn't it written in the book of Chronicles? There's nothing in the book of Chronicles about them. So it is determined that this was like the official recording of the kings, um, whether it was from Judah in the southern kingdom or Israel and northern kingdom and it and so there was a recording of when they became king and those types of things and then verse 7 says and Azariah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David and Jotham his son became king in his place well having said that now let's go look at second chronicles which the author of second chronicles gives just a little bit more detail in this case. Not in every case. Sometimes there's more detail in the book of Kings than there is in Second Chronicles. We saw that about King Ahab. All right, so let's read verses 22 and 23 of Second Chronicles 26. Let's just read verse 22 first. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, First to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, has written. So it's very interesting that it's going to say that there's going to be something written about Uzziah in Isaiah. And actually we find out that there are several prophets that write about Uzziah. Isaiah mentions him, Amos mentions him, Hosea mentions him. But when you go to the book of Isaiah, all you read is two mentions of Uzziah. It doesn't mention anything about the acts that he had done. First of all, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. And I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. And I believe we heard some of this in the Sunday school, some of these things recently. We have Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. 
It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he was a prophet to the southern kingdom, and he saw some of these things during the reigns of these kings, and one of the kings is Uzziah. Now, there's another reference of him in chapter 6. Let's go to chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And in chapter 6, verse 1, we have the event of Isaiah being called by God as a prophet. But notice what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, let me just want to stop there. So Isaiah's prophetic ministry really begins at the death of Uzziah. And then, of course, how can we stop here in Isaiah 6? What was the vision? Well, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, immense, and it says the train of his robe. That's the hem the train means the hem of his robe filled the temple. And you see this immense picture of the glory of the Lord and the Lord himself. Verse 2, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And the one called out to another and said, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it says, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then Isaiah said, Woe is me. Woe is me in the Bible does not mean he has a horse and he's stopping it. Doesn't have a horse by the name of Ismi. Woe in the Bible is an expression of judgment. Woe, I am in trouble. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sins is forgiven. And then, of course, who will go? This is his calling and Isaiah comes forth to go for the Lord. Now, that's all we really read about Uzziah in Isaiah. Well, how do we put this together? Well, some have suggested, and it's not a bad idea, some have suggested that he had written more about Uzziah, but for some reason, under God's providence, that was not kept. It was lost or something. And here's what the expositor says, that the prophet Isaiah recorded the other events of Uzziah's reign, though this work is now lost, even as Isaiah later did for those of Hezekiah's reign. And of course, John MacArthur agrees with this, and he said this is not referring to the canonical book, of Isaiah, canonical meaning that which has been collected, found, collected, and gathered into the Holy Scriptures. So it was a it was writings that was not collected. It was lost, or I'm not sure what, but in the Lord's providence, this has happened. By the way, um, we have the books First and Second Corinthians in the New Testament, and it's believed that Paul may have written four times to that very high-maintenance, troubled church needing four letters, but only two of them are kept and recorded. And that's, that's Scripture. That's what God wanted to do. All, all Scripture is inspired by God and was collected, and that's what we have in our hands today. Now, I want to say something else. I want to talk about Amos, because Amos does talk about him a little bit. 
Amos, who was primarily a prophet to the northern kingdom, primarily, because he does mention something about Judah, but he also mentions something about an earthquake. And we're going to put together the earthquake, or it's a possibility to put together the earthquake with the sin of Uzziah and his getting leprosy. So we'll work our way through it. But first of all, let's go to Amos chapter 1, verse 1. Or you can just listen as I read it. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah the king, who was a southern kingdom king, king of Judah, but so he's mostly going to talk about the northern kingdom, but Uzziah is the king of the southern kingdom, and there's going to be something mentioned, Uzziah, king of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, who we skipped over, and we're going to go back, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Wow. So it just gets more and more interesting, and we have to... Spend a little time working our way through it. So um, before we talk about the earthquake, let's look at Amos chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And what Amos is doing, he's going to talk to both the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. You are going to fall. You are going to be taken into captivity. He's going to say that to the northern kingdom. But here there's a little excerpt where he speaks to the southern kingdom. Amos chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. You're done. That's when he tells Jeremiah, don't even pray. Not listening, not listening to your prayers. My mind is made up. Because they rejected the law of the Lord. And have not kept his statutes. Their lies also have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah. And it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. And of course that was fulfilled by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. Well, what is this about the earthquake? Well, John MacArthur writes this. This earthquake, which, by the way, the earthquake is mentioned by Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 5. Josephus connects it with Uzziah's sin of usurping the role of a priest. An earthquake of severe magnitude occurred. So I'm I'm not going to presume to say this, this is something that God brought on because of Uzziah, although it could be, it could have been. Um, But there is this connection at the time of Uzziah, his sin, and then really not long after that is this earthquake. So it's just interesting. But that's about all we have from Isaiah and Amos. Um, If we want to find out about Uzziah, best place to go is 2 Chronicles, which we did. And now let's look at verse 23. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Verse 23, so Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper and Jotham, his son, became king in his place. So many times when it says he was buried with his fathers and not buried with the kings, it's because that king did something that they don't want to be associated with. Well, here it would be his leprosy. So not only was he isolated for those many years, not only was he exempt from going to worship the Lord in the temple, but he's forever under the name of humility that he was not even buried with the kings because he was a leper, and he was a leper because he was proud and he usurped his authority. So this is what we find. Now, 
Let's make some applications. Very, very interesting. I want to first talk about his pride. And, and you're saying, well, we've already talked about pride. Yes, and we'll talk about pride some more. And you know what? As I thought about this, I'm kind of glad. I'm glad every time we go over pride so that, Lord, please help me. Please help all of us not be prideful because it's bad. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before stumbling, so before a fall. But the fall is not just, oopsie, I just tripped. It is a fall, is a devastating and many times destruction, a judgment by the Lord. Now in Azariah's case, what is pride? Well, pride is taking the credit for and trusting in his own strength for success and not the Lord. That's what pride is. So anytime we don't give credit to the Lord when we should, that's pride, and it's not good. And very interesting where God will not raise up the proud. Why? Because what's their message? It was me. It's the wrong message, and God is not going to allow them to do it. But when you humble yourself and you exalt the Lord of all that he has done, including our salvation, that's the message that God promotes and he will exalt you in due time. One writes this. Unfortunately, Uzziah took personal credit for what God had given him. The writer noted several times that Uzziah was strong. Verse 8, verse 15, verse 16 says he was strong, he was strong, he was strong. And you're getting the idea that, yeah, and it went to his head. His pride led to self-exaltation, and he put himself above God, put himself above God in that doesn't matter what God said was law, I'll do whatever I want. And so he put himself above God. Another writes, and this is very interesting, if he had only remembered the message of his name, both of his names, that he was powerful because of the Lord's help, he would not have fallen. Now, I mentioned about his two names. You know, that's why it confuses us. That's why, uh, you know, that's why I always write uh, Azariah in parentheses, Uzziah, and then he's from the southern kingdom, just so we don't get confused. So Uzziah, which was probably his name after he took the sole reign, it means what? My strength is Yahweh. If he'd have just remembered that. Or if he'd even went back to his old name, Azariah, which meant Yahweh has helped me. So that's like being named humility. Imagine if you name one of your children humble. <laughs> you probably wouldn't do that. But imagine if they were humble for a time and then became very arrogant. I actually have a niece who's named Patience. And um, I think she is patient. I think she's patient because anytime she's impatient, they remind her of what her name is. Well, here's the idea where his name is the Lord is my help. The Lord is the one who's responsible for all this, and he took this upon himself. I also want to talk about Azariah's priesthood or pseudo priesthood. A couple of quotes. Warren Wiersbe writes, overcome by pride, he intruded into the ministry of the priest in the temple, something forbidden by God. Another one writes, Uzziah attempted to usurp the role of the priest, which is forbidden in the Levitical code. And by the way, uh, if you would like to turn to Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, or I'll just read it. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. And that would even refer to the king. Again, but you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil. And you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood 
as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. It is very interesting that one of the quotes says, you know what? God was merciful to him. God could have killed him. But he, ex- he extended mercy even though he judged him with leprosy. Another one writes, The office of king belonged only to the house of David, while the office of priest was only for the house of Levi. So this was made clear in the law. And then again, it is interesting the constable said, now the king could be out there in the courtyard in the brazen altar and make sacrifices, as could some of the Israelites. But they cannot come into the Holy of Holies because it's sacred to the Lord. As a result, Uzziah was judged with leprosy. His leprosy was an outward sign of his internal unfaithfulness and dishonor. Or as Constable put it, the king's leprosy was an outward evidence of his inward uncleanness. Let us not allow our pride to cause us to dishonor the Lord and his word. And in so doing, we become unfaithful to the Lord. And by the way, as we're talking about this, there is only one who is both king and priest. Actually, prophet, priest, and king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've already said, when it comes to the temple and his priesthood, he is both the sacrifice, it is his blood, and he's also the mercy seat, the place between a holy God and sinful man. He said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We see that he was king in the book of Revelation. It says that an an angel sounded off, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And we see that throughout scripture. And he was also the priest in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. It says, every priest stands daily ministering. And offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. They only covered it. But notice it's daily, time after time. This isn't talking about the the day of Yom Kippur or the day of atonement. This is talking about their priestly ideas. It never took away sins or else they wouldn't have had to keep doing it. But they had to keep doing it time after time, day after day year after year, and that's the monotony that Scripture wants to bring across to us. Verse 12, but he, the Lord Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. And as is mentioned many times, there is no piece of furniture that is a chair inside the temple. It was a place for holy work. But our Lord Jesus Christ did one sacrifice for sins for all time and then sat down because the work is finished. My sins have been paid for and yours have been paid for. And when we come to Christ and trust him as our savior, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me, a sinner. The moment we embrace him as our savior, he forgives us of all of our sin. All of that is applied to us, both the sacrifice and the mercy seat before God. And then I want to just briefly talk about the brazen altar. Why was this so important? What was so wrong in doing this? Well, I think we've already figured it out. This was, again, this place where the priest would get coals from the altar, the brazen altar of sacrifice. So that's where a sacrifice was, was, was killed for sin. Something innocent had to die for someone guilty. Obviously, atonement then is the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone innocent, perfect, sinless had to die for those who are sinful. That's God's design, and that's the only way it could have been. Sometimes people will say, well, I wonder if there would have been another way. No, there wasn't. There was no other way, only through the blood of Christ, which, which constituted his death. And they would put this on the altar of incense. And I believe it, it's in the Holy of Holies. 
And then there's the veil. It's right next to the veil. And then you have the Holy of Holies. And sometimes the scripture even talks about that the altar is on the inside. It's not. But the scripture is saying that the smoke from it is penetrating. And as I said before, one is because it's the fragrant aroma of sacrifice for sin. It's also this smoky covering for when that sinful high priest goes in. I believe it's somewhat of a covering that he cannot be exposed to the presence of God until the blood is applied to the mercy seat. And we read that from Exodus chapter 30, at least as far as what he's to do with it. First of all, then, I believe that it is a reference to God's holiness. So this brazen altar is a reference to God's holiness. It's a separation. The veil is a separation between a holy God and sinful man. Of course, we know that when Christ died, the veil was rent in two. The way of salvation was now open. The way to God was now open, but only through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what it means. That's why that king just couldn't go walking in there. Those priests had to be Levites. Those priests had to be consecrated. Um, And when we say consecrated, we mean set apart for a holy use. And I don't think I need to explain any of that. We also find out that Christ's death was a fragrant aroma. So even Christ is, even the brazen altar is a type of Christ. And I'm going to quote from a book that we haven't been in for a while. It's the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1. Watch this. Chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So even as it was a fragrant aroma in the Old Testament from the brazen altar, that was a picture of Christ whose death would satisfy and propitiate the wrath of God against sinners. He is a merciful God. He's a holy God and he judges, but he is a merciful God to those who repent and come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also would just suggest then too that even our own walk then, we're to walk in love just like Christ did who gave himself and even our walk is pleasing to the Lord and even in a sense, a fragrant aroma to God. We're there because of Christ and we're walking according to Christ because of Christ and that is a fragrant aroma to the Lord. And then the final reference of the brazen altar of why it's so holy, why this thing that that Azariah did was so bad, it's also representative in the New Testament of believers' prayers. Believers' prayers are a, or, or rather the other way around, the brazen altar, the, the uh, altar of incense, was a type of believers' prayers. Our prayers go into the Holy of Holies, but we go not alone. Our prayers go into the Holy of Holies only because of Christ's sacrifice for us. So just like the incense, which was incense, but it came from coals from the brazen altar, our prayers come from believers, but believers who have been bought with the blood of Christ. Revelation chapter 5 and other places, even David in the Psalms refers to prayer as incense. But Revelation chapter 5 says, when he had taken the book, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There's a sense in which your prayers are holy. There's a sense in which when you go to God in prayer, you're going into the holy of holies, the presence of God, but only through Christ. 
chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And so what a beautiful picture of the brazen altar. So in all of these, and, and even in more connections, there is no way that king should have ever gone in there to do this. And, and no wonder he was struck with le- leprosy. And truly, he could have been put to death. But the Lord had mercy upon him. And I would say, why? For the sake of David. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us not to be prideful. We acknowledge our sinful nature and our pride that we have deep within, but we also have the Holy Spirit and the new nature, which, Father, we can yield to and not yield to our sinful nature. We want to yield to humility and not to pride, Lord not only because it's a fall, but because it's the wrong message and doesn't exalt you and all the things that you've done for us, beginning with our salvation and giving you all the credit. We ought to be praising you all the time, Lord. Father, we we also pray that we realize that only Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest, and king, the only one that can do all of those. He alone as the God-man. On the one hand, Father, that ought to assure us that our salvation is settled and eternal and secure. On the other hand, it ought to give us the motivation to share this message with those who don't know Christ. And finally, Lord, we thank you for the fragrant aroma of Christ's death on the cross to satisfy your righteous anger against our sin. But that's the very means by which we can even come to you with our prayer and the very means by which we're able to walk and be pleasing and even be a fragrant aroma. Oh God, would you help us to be a fragrant aroma to you? Would we be a people with much incense in prayer in the holy, to the, in the holy presence of God? Oh Father, may this scripture that we read today not fall on deaf ears. But Father, minister to our hearts and we will give you all the credit and the glory when that happens. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.